This is Greg Olson, inviting you to check out my new Blue Wire podcast, TE1, where I interview tight ends throughout the history of the NFL who have helped revolutionize the position. TE1 is presented by the Chevy Silverado. The Silverado is all about grit. It's strong and dependable, exactly like playing tight end. Just like the incredible players we sit down with on the podcast, the Chevy Silverado is in a league of its own. Strong, advanced, and dependable. Download TE1 today, wherever you listen to podcasts. Blue Wire. The Denver Nuggets select Michael Porter Jr. But I'm going to make sure that this pick is this organization's best pick they've ever made. Force inside. Jokic, Hello and welcome in to a new edition of the Rocky Mountain Hoops podcast, part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I am your host, TJ McBride from MileHighSports.com, your home for all Colorado sports. And this podcast is brought to you today by Indeed and by BetOnline.ag. You're going to hear more about them in the show coming up after this first intro and then after the, the first big segment, which was a good one. I brought on Pete Zayas, who you may know as Laker Film Room on Twitter, and he is just a wealth of Lakers knowledge. He knows all about this team actually works for the organization itself in terms of creating videos for you know content for them to put out into the interweb so pete has a great insight into this team he also has a podcast also on the blue wire podcast network with darius serrano which is called the lakers film room podcast so make sure you go subscribe to that it's a great 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 show and really a lot of what we talked about on this show kind of stemmed from their conversation they had on their show last night so we got into a bunch of stuff. We got into Pete's take on Michael Malone's coaching job, the Nikola Jokic-Jamal Murray two-man game, what adjustments could be made, how the Denver Nuggets don't die, how whoever is really able to dictate the pace of this game is going to have the opportunity to win it, and so many other things. We really tried to encapsulate a bunch of different stuff that happened so far in the season. We covered games one, two, and three, and then had a look ahead to game four. We discussed how the Nuggets can break the zone. We discussed how Denver Denver can find a way to attack a potentially smaller lineup of this Lakers team if they do end up starting that direction. Talked about JaVale McGee, talked about Dwight Howard and his antics, so many things. He is just an incredible wealth of, of basketball knowledge, so please go follow him at Lakers Film Room on Twitter. Go follow or go subscribe to their podcast, the Lakers Film Room Podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts, part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network, and go check out all the content he creates for the Lakers themselves because it is truly great, great stuff stuff. But that's really the intro I got for you. This we're going to quick we're going to take a quick break, tell you about Indeed so that you can help find yourself get some better employees for your business. We're going to have my conversation with Pete Zayas, aka Lakers Film Room, and then I'm going to tell you about NFL or sorry, Bet Online, and then we are going to close out the podcast. So thank you guys so much again for sticking around, for listening to the show, for being able to take it in. But we're going to take our first quick break, tell you about Indeed, and then we're going to come back on the other end with my conversation with Pete Zayas. Is, aka Lakers Film Room. 
even though sports have had a break, your business did not. You have to keep moving and that makes hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people and fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need and you can pause your account at any time. There are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier, like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hire you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. So right now, Indeed is offering our listeners of the Rocky Mountain Hoops podcast and the Blue Wire podcast network a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it and fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions do apply and the offer is valid through September 30th. Welcome back into the Rocky Mountain Hoops podcast, and I am so happy to have Pete Zayas here in the podcast building. Not in the building. This is a pandemic, so we're definitely <laughs> not doing that anymore. But thank you so much. If you guys don't know, this is at Lakers Film Room on Twitter. He does a great pro- podcast for the Blue Wire Podcast Network, the Lakers Film Room Podcast with Darius Serrano, who is also fantastic. But thank you so much for taking the time to sit down and talk some hoops with me in what has been a really fun Western Conference Finals so far. Absolutely. Thanks for, so much for having me on, TJ. And I've got a ton of respect for the uh, the Nuggets as a team uh, on the court and just what you guys do. So I'm excited to talk some hoops with you. That's perfect segue into exactly what I wanted to start with, which is just your overall thoughts on the Nuggets, their resiliency, Jokic, Murray, and things like that. So initially coming into the series, what was your what was your first thought about this Nuggets team that was either a concern or something that you had kind of just given them credit for? Yeah, so there are a couple thoughts. Most of them are good. Uh, A couple things that I think kind of limit you guys, but I have a ton of respect for obviously the resilience you guys have, the multiple 3-1 comebacks, the, you know, your team that you guys, like, you got to kill Denver. and They're not going to give up and and die, right? Like, and it's also been, the the coverage of the NBA is so narrative-based, way too skewed in that direction that people have missed out on, like, this is this really fun team that's everybody's young or at least most of the key guys right and they've grown together over the course of a few seasons Jamal Murray has started to step into that like legitimately elite ball handler role right Jokic is is one of a one of one type of player there's no other player quite like him in the league uh and so yeah you guys are really fun from a passing and execution standpoint you execute five out offense in a way that nobody else does because of the singular talents of Jokic uh my concerns and this is a big storyline in this series is the athleticism discrepancy especially in your front court right with with Jokic and Millsap amongst the starters uh and, and so it's been a wonderful chess match I thought I think Malone's done a great job of finding the places where you can attack the Lakers with force that's something that like from watching the Lakers obviously I'm way more familiar with the Lakers than the Nuggets you have to beat us by being forceful with us if you try to dance around the perimeter we're very much like a hunter 
conquering horde type mentality bullies right it's yeah and how do you beat a bully is you you punch the bully in the face right and yeah. so malone's done a great job of with those second unit lineups in particular finding places where you guys are more bigger stronger faster than us especially in the wing type positions so uh yeah i i really have a lot of respect for you guys and what you do and uh uh, it's been great to watch the the chess match of this series. The punching back at the bully analogy is something that I find so perfect for this series because for so long, obviously, the Nuggets have been the team who have been obliterated by the Lakers in the playoffs. This is not something that is new to Lakers or Nuggets fans. It is very well known at this point. But this Nuggets team, especially in the regular season, you go back to when they got blown out by like 25 by the Clippers and Will Barton called his own team soft and he was right at that time. This mm-hmm. evolution of this Denver Nuggets team to where they feel like they can truly hang with anybody. Not just hang, but actually beat anybody. This is new. I did not anticipate seeing it come this full circle this quickly. And so much of that comes down to Jamal Murray for me because Nikola Jokic yeah. is a great leader. I'm not going to say that he's like not because on the court, in terms of X's and O's and putting guys in the correct position, Nikola Jokic is phenomenal. In terms of off the court, the kind of raw, raw, get everybody into it, that's not what he does. That is what Jamal Murray does. And the Nuggets needed an alpha type leader so do you think Jamal Murray has kind of been that embodying force on the court that kind of grit and determination that the Nuggets maybe lacked in the regular season yeah I I can't speak to the degree that you guys lacked grit and determination right I do think that from from Jokic's perspective like if I went to Serbia it would be difficult for me to lead even if I spoke the language you know what I mean like there's there's so many there's so much of a cultural bridge that having an an American player step up into a star role I think does help you guys right especially as a primary ball handler as somebody who can can lead and get and get Murray hits shots where you play perfect defense and then it's just like nice shot. You know what I mean? And Jokic does that too, for sure. But there's, there's something that comes from being able to do that from the perimeter that him from an attitude and mentality standpoint, he is the, the focus, the nexus of that mentality that I see from you guys of like, we're never going to give up. We're never going to be scared of you. We're going to play our game. And like the Nuggets don't have as high of a ceiling as the Lakers do in terms of like our best is better than the Nuggets best. But Murray helps get you guys as close to your best as often as possible. And so if the other team isn't playing as well as, as their ceiling is, we saw this in the Clippers series as well. Like there's, there's a lot to be said for consistency and consistently performing and giving it everything you've got. Murray's that type of guy. Yeah, and that's the one thing that has always plagued him is that he has not been consistent. I mean, he started his NBA career missing his first 17 shots before going on like a 25-point-per-game <laughs> tear. That has always sure. been the conversation around him, and, that, and that, that floor being raised is something that has been, again, an evolution in this Denver Nuggets team. Jamal Murray has not been that guy, and for him to become that guy, it has taken so much attention away from Nikola Jokic that has allowed him to be himself. For so many different times, especially especially in the postseason going back to last season, and even a little bit in that Jazz series before Jamal Murray went absolutely nuclear, they were able to have a predictable offense because everybody knew that it had to go through Nikola Jokic to be able to create anything sustainable. Jamal Murray was not that floor guy. He was not able to create that stabilizing effect. And that really is a new aspect of what he has been able to bring to this team. He's always shown it in different spurts, but this whole, like, like especially last night in the fourth quarter, you know, nine straight turnovers 
turnovers, it felt like. It was nine in the fourth quarter. It felt like (laughs) they were all consecutively. But Jamal Murray, to see that happening, to already have taken that 6-0 run from LeBron James when he got into the mid post, for him to kind of stand up onto his own feet and just hold everything back and in check and hit that just ridiculous step back three on Alex Caruso to stop the bleeding, that's the Mm -hmm. kind of stabilizing effect that I hadn't seen. And the other guy who's done that is Gary Harris, who hasn't been as much of a factor in this series, but his defense is similar to what Jamal Murray can bring offensively in terms of raising that floor. So the floor hasn't been there like that. That's what I think is most surprising for me. And that's why I go back to the boxing analogy you guys used on the podcast last night, the Lakers film room podcast, which was the nuggets are the counter puncher. They are the methodical um, jab you to death. Win these rounds 10 to nine, just by getting jabs in while the Mm -hmm. Lakers are looking for that knockout punch. I thought that was so apt. And I wanted you to kind of get into a little bit more, especially from the Lakers point of view about what kind of difficulty that presents to the Lakers that they haven't currently had to see. Yeah. So the Lakers have to, the Lakers, as I said, are hunters to make an NFL analogy, which we made on the pod as well, is that we're like a a blitzing defense or an NFL defense that has a great pass rush. And those live ball turnovers that we saw in the fourth quarter where it's LeBron one on O dunking, you know, nobody around. Those are kind of like our pick sixes, right? Where we get an interception and, and return it for a touchdown. Um, and, and so the very nature of what we do is, again, as, as hunters, we're, we want to be bigger, faster, and stronger than our opposition. And that when we're not scrambling, we, it, it's like that blitzing defense playing a, a prevent defense, right? It's like the exact yeah. opposite of what your intuition is. And it's been more difficult against Denver than the other opponents that we've played because of how much Jokic can initiate that means that from a Lakers perspective, guys who aren't used to ball pressuring are now asked to ball pressure, asked to defend out on the perimeter. Dwight Howard, you know, started the third quarter, but he blew a couple of assignments on the perimeter and left guys open as a result of that. So it's the, your offense is inverted from conventional offenses in the NBA due to Jokic's talents. Yes. And that makes the Lakers have not adjusted to that yet. That said, as we talked about on the pod as well, the Lakers do not adjust to a team until they force them to. So this game four, or and even that, that fourth quarter was the first time I really saw us making significant changes to what we do to that two, three zone that we went to in that fourth quarter, which I suspect we'll see more of. And so I think going forward, you're going to, the Lakers the Nuggets have pulled the Lakers out of what we want to do from a the, the hunter blitzing, putting pressure on you standpoint and put us on our heels. Going forward, we're going to be making adjustments to try to become the aggressor again as we were for much of that fourth quarter. Yeah, that leads me perfectly into my next point, which is whoever dictates the pace of the game for the majority yeah. of the time is the one who's going to win. That has mm-hmm. been the biggest thing. And this is so unique because basketball usually is like, you know, they always come down to the matchups are down to the styles of the fighter. Like everybody wants to make those cliches. This is not that. The Nuggets and the Lakers are trying to be the best versions of themselves against mm-hmm. Opponent. And that has made this so much more fun and so much more dynamic in terms of how these things are playing out. Yeah. Because Denver is more methodical. They need to play slow 
slower. They cannot get into a foot race with this Lakers team. Michael Malone right. said they can't get into a jumping contest and a sprinting contest with the Lakers, and he's 100% mm-hmm. right. So mm-hmm. with that being said, Michael Malone's job of adjusting to the Lakers just relentless attack in game one. Because in game one, it didn't matter if it was a made free throw, if it was a made three-pointer, if it was a missed layup. They were sprinting back at Denver, and the Nuggets kind of just gave the offensive glass away. They stopped trying as much in game two and three, and it allowed them to get back. From what you know of this Lakers team, from what you have seen, is that a sustainable defensive strategy to keep this Lakers team slowed down to at least a manageable pace? Uh, it's the best one that there is. There are going to be a lot of us of what we create though is off of our defense, right? So when we're getting stops, that's, you know, in, in theory, the, you know, sending all five back, like there's not, hasn't been a ton of offensive rebounding. Although you guys, you guys killed us on the boards last night. Uh, That, that emphasis on transition defense, it's, it's twofold, right? The, The Nuggets have made adjustments in that direction while we've been significantly less aggressive in that respect as well. And, uh, and so I thought you guys had a bit of a mental letdown in game one because I started watching you guys more and more, right? Now I'm not going to act yeah. like I'm a Nuggets expert. So for please correct me if I say anything that's uh, <laughs> too far out of the sphere of like, you know, it's not true. But what I saw from a team, I, and from being around a team uh, as I have been recently, I understand the personality of a team a little bit better. I thought in game one, you guys felt that relief of like, it's not the end of the world if we don't lose, if we lose this game, you know? And so that wasn't, I even said in the pod after game one, like that wasn't the best version of the Nuggets. We're going to get better versions of them. And that has been the case in games two and three. In game three, that wasn't the best version of the Lakers. I've seen the Lakers take you guys progressively less seriously as the series has gone on, despite the fact that we, you guys have played progressively better, right? And yeah. In game three, we crossed that threshold. I think that you're going to see in game four a more assertive Lakers team in transition, and that'll be the true test of whether or not what Malone's done in in the adjustments and the player commitment, especially of all five getting back uh, and protecting the paint, and then you know exploding out to to the perimeter from there. Whether or not that you're going to be tested in game four in a way that I don't think the Lakers were locked in enough in game three to really do that. Yeah, I'm ready for the LeBron game in game four. Like, there's always going to be that moment where LeBron comes alive. And he's been very... um he hasn't been passive, not even a little bit, but he has been making a point to try and get other guys involved because they know that they're going to need to have bench help and those, that role player help, which wasn't there in game three, to be able to win this series. I'm, I don't know when it's going to be game four or game five, but LeBron, that LeBron game is coming. And how sure. Denver reacts to that LeBron game is going to tell the entire story of this series, in my opinion, because the Nuggets have been resilient so far. It's different when LeBron James is putting up 40 12 and 12 on you and there is absolutely nothing you can do about it like even against even against the Clippers the Nuggets could just suffocate Kawhi Leonard force him to be somewhat more of a creator which then turned into turnovers which then fed their fast break like there Mm -hmm. were always adjustments there is no adjustment when LeBron James is on that level and dealing with that deflation dealing with the understanding that you can't control those kinds of runs that's where I wonder if the Nuggets might finally meet their maker and fold I don't think they will but if it's going to happen that that's the point where it's going to happen. Um, did you have anything you wanted to say about that? I, I, I'd be shocked if you guys folded, man. Like I've been around a lot of basketball and a lot of basketball teams. And like, you're going to have to kill Jamal Murray. You're going to have to kill Jokic and just this team. You guys have something special. Like 
think about it from the player's perspective of being down 3-1 twice. Mm-hmm. Like, you've been in this place. You've been stuck in this place. Now, mind you, they've got nice accommodations and all that. But still, you're stuck for months. Yes. And how easy would it be for your mind to be like, wow, I get to go home. Like, if we lose yeah. this game. like, And, and it's not it, – it's, uncon- it's subconscious, right? It's not – but it would be easy to do it. So if you guys – fought back from what you fought back like lebron going nuts which he's going to do at some point like you might lose still right but yeah. i don't see like it's folding at any point yeah i don't folding's the wrong term for sure but it's more of the shock and being unable to recover sure. from it taking that true hard right hook all of a sudden in round sure. six and you're stumbling the rest of the way that's kind that's of what i am looking at coming and how they're able to take that punch and kind of come back at them because the nuggets they arguably have the best chin in basketball like if we're going to keep this boxing <laughs> analogy going i love it they do though like they take these shots and they don't care and this hasn't been just this season this is something that I'm sure you've seen and they have talked about to some extent, but Denver played two game sevens last year against two teams who are equally as good as that Utah Jazz team against the Mm -hmm. San Antonio Spurs and against the Portland Trailblazers. But to go even further, the year before that, three years ago now, the Denver Nuggets played a game 82 play-in game for the playoffs Mm -hmm. on the line against Minnesota. This is Mm -hmm. so normalized for them now. And even then, leading up to that game 82, they won 10 of 13 games against 13 playoff opponents to be able to even be in a position to actually fight for a playoff spot which they inevitably did not get but still like that kind of resiliency for so long I've always said clutch is random like teams don't have the ability to always come through in the clutch you can't be consistent (laughs) in the clutch the Nuggets have done it and like you as from a a bit of a coaching background and understanding basketball on that terms is this something that can actually become an identity of a team because I I I don't know if I can fully get myself there yet so I think that teams can become used to playing in clutch moments and used to playing in high-pressure moments. That's the thing that you, you players will react one of two ways when they're a little rattled by the moment is they will either try to do too much. This is the Kobe Game 7 2010 where he's taking like yeah. insane fadeaway shots with two guys draped on him. Oh, that ultimate self-belief of like, I've got to do all of this myself rather than just making the simple play right yeah the other one is the i don't want anything to do with this i'm just gonna swing the ball to the guy next to me because i don't want to deal with the pressure of this moment i'm not going to single guys out but there are guys in this league that are are like that (laughs) yes and it's also something where experience can can change that right like that ladder of guys the moment being a little too big for them guy like Shea Gilgis Alexander, for example, in game seven against Houston, he's a guy, I, I really like him as a player, but you could see he was a little like, oh crap, this is a game seven, right? But he's what, 20, 21 years old? In yeah. a few years, he's he going to be fine if he, if he gets enough experience at that. And so you're, you guys having the same core together, having been through so many of those situations, you may fail in the clutch from time to time. And this is something, you know, as a, as a guy who grew up on Kobe, Kobe had plenty of his clutch failures but the the fact is that you're going to be scared and rattled by that moment that is something that i think that you can maintain your identity while again maybe not always being successful in that but you can i I think that you can keep a level head about you and that's what i see very much with this nuggets team and why you have to kill them in the other two series the lakers broke portland spirit they broke houston spirit where by the time gabe five rolled rolled around it was it was a uh, formality that the series was over and you could see in the body language of of both teams that like they knew the lakers were significantly better 
I think both teams know the Lakers are a better team than the Nuggets, but the yeah. Nuggets are not going to be scared of the Lakers, and the Lakers will have to bring the requisite heat in order to beat them. They're not going to break their spirit. Yeah, well, sports isn't math, or else mathematicians would have all the championships. Like, that's not how this works, which is what's so beautiful right. about it. But at this, what's, what's so interesting about that is that – how do I phrase this correctly? The Denver <laughs> Nuggets are – they have had to play more high-pressure games than almost any of their counterparts through this much of their career. I mean, this is yes. we're going into game 32 of the playoffs already for a team that wow. is virtually all under 26. Like, that's really incredible. And to put that into another contrast, or, you know, a little bit more of a uh, picture, is that they don't have very many games under their belt as it is. Would you have that much of the percentage of your games in a high-pressure situation? Maybe there is something to that. And I also love that the Denver Nuggets have been the antithesis to everything in the NBA in this postseason. They're not the team that was bought and completely configured throughout free agency. They're a team that was <laughs> built entirely through continuity and chemistry and draft picks. So for so long, continuity and chemistry is like a buzzword you throw out for teams who aren't that good but might be good. Like That's not necessarily a trait that you can hang your hat on for a lot of these teams that you're like, okay, they're going to win because they're chemistry. Like, that's not mm-hmm. a thing that happens in the postseason. But against the Clippers, they won because they had chemistry against a team that had barely played together. They're kind of breaking this mold of how basketball is played. Screw small ball. We're going to play tall ball. We're going to have Jeremy Grant at small forward, even though he can shoot, dribble, pass. That triple threat from all the different positions on the court with guys who are over 6'9", it's not Mm -hmm. something you see in basketball. So I really enjoy that we're seeing these molds get break, that we're seeing a 7-foot point guard with a 6'4 shooting guard who is screening for your point guard. Like, I love the chaos of that. And I, do you think any of this is gimmicky? That's kind of where I'm leading. Because no, not, a, really? not at all. No, not at all. I, I think there's no inherent benefit to going small. The, the benefit of going small is that smaller players tend to be more skilled. It's yes, easy to thank find you. A I've can... ranted about this endlessly. It's not about small ball. It's versatile ball. Yeah, there's no – it's just that, you know, how many seven-footers can dribble, pass, and shoot to the level of – like you can find a lot more guys who are 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six, who can do that. That's part of the – the Lakers are unique in this respect too. Like when we go small, we've got LeBron James and Anthony Davis handling the ball. You know what I mean? Like yeah. they're big dudes, right? And, and yeah. Jokic, Jokic is uh, he's slower, but he's – stronger right and he knows how to leverage that strength and is a you know he hits those crazy one-footed fadeaways you know like the sophomore the, shuffle yeah. <laughs> yeah. is that what you guys call it that's what uh, yeah. it's called yeah i love it right and see where he's flinging it behind his head right and so the there's if you have guys who can dribble pass and shoot pat riley 30 years ago or so said that you know in 25 years we're gonna the game's gonna be a bunch of six foot nine guys at every position and that's it's a little bit on the reductive side but that's that's true right like if, yeah so the nuggets having skill at bigger positions and running those inverted ball screens that's part of where the game is going and where it's been going for a moment where you have to be really good at a bunch of different aspects of the game and bigger players being able to handle the ball and shoot the ball and pass the ball they will be replacing like the lakers are their kind of own version of tall ball ourselves right yes. because when 100%. we go small when we go small we don't go particularly small either but we're still very skilled when we do so it that is one of the few stylistic similarities between the two teams 
by the way, kind of a tangent here, but I also think this is why so many elite defenses are giving up more three-point attempts nowadays, is they have mm. the size to be able to close out to those shooters that hasn't existed on the court yet. So you can scramble more. You can play in that scramble, hedge out, put a lot of ball pressure on, and recover with enough length mm-hmm. to actually disrupt those shots. So I That's do- what we do. That's what yes. we do, TJ. That's it's, exactly what you described there is the whole premise of the Lakers' defense when we're rolling. Yeah, and that's why it worked so well in that fourth quarter when everything was just, or sorry, third quarter and fourth quarter, when everything was going wrong there for the Nuggets in that zone defense. Let's talk about that zone for a second because it's not Mm -hmm. obviously perfect in this analogy, but it does fit. The Lakers are going to use this zone going forward. You Mm -hmm. on the podcast with Darius, when you on the Lakers film room podcast, I need to make sure I say that. (laughs) It's cool, it's cool. I know, but you guys do great stuff and I love your podcast. But when you guys spoke about the zone, you thought it was more sustainable. I'm of the mindset that Darius was on where I, I think the Nuggets just watching film is going to be very not easy but they're going to have all of the ability to break the zone at their fingertips if they want to so why do you think the zone might be something sustainable for this for this Lakers team to slow the Nuggets going forward I I think it's one of it's an arrow in the quiver it's not something that is going to be a base defense but it's no different than man-to-man and the different pick and roll coverages whether it's switching or drop like every defense has its strengths and have has its weaknesses and it's more about when you deploy it and how frequently you, you deploy it, right? Like if I'm throwing you that fastball every pitch, eventually yeah. you're going to catch up to it, right? You're going to, and so like if we're running multiple possessions like that, but this is more of a basketball thing than anything that's Denver specific, is that zone offense, the nature of zone offense versus the nature of a man offense is so different that if you're switching it up, it takes like if a team is running their man offense against a zone defense, they're going to look confused and befuddled like the Nuggets did in in that little stretch. Now, all of these guys have played again. We played a two, three zone. It's the most common zone yeah. defense it's in sixth the world. Grade zone, right. Like for sure. It's, yeah. But that said, I believe, and this, this year has been one of my favorite years from a, like the game's always progressing forward there's been more zone played throughout the NBA mm-hmm. in this season. And I've loved it. And I've, I feel like there's always been kind of a dismissive attitude towards zone defenses in the NBA. Like, Oh, that'll never work. The shooters are too good They're, And like, yes, if you let them get into their one, three, one setup against the, the two, three, where guys are flashing to the high post. But if you deploy it at the right times, if, you know, if, we're in man and we go on a little eight, nothing run. Malone calls a timeout and you come up, you, you come out of the timeout. You're going to call an ATO. Malone's got great ATOs, but we're in a two, three zone. That play that you drew up that was supposed to beat our man defense out of the timeout is not going to beat our two, three. That's the point. That's the great one right there. Right. And so it's, you could, we can do this throughout. It's just an option rather than, and that's what I think is it's a sustainable option. It's one of the pitches that we can throw rather than if we sit in that too long, of course, they're going to pick it apart. It's a zone defense. And the nature of zone is that you are giving up spots on the floor. That said, the premise of being able to close out, because like where you're weak against a zone specifically from a shooting standpoint is on the wings. And we've got the length on that bottom three to be able to close out with a high hand better. It's still going to be an open shot but if that's anthony davis flying at you or lebron james on a on one of his quicker closeouts it's a more difficult shot right so we we've got some of the personnel to mitigate the weaknesses of a zone but whether it's man defense or zone defense every part of it has a weakness so if you stay into it too long in it too long an offense is going to pick it apart 
I would love to see someone chart how many possessions on average it takes for a, an offense to kind of get back into a rhythm after a zone. Because it feels like there's like three to five possessions where yep. every team, when they see it, just kind of panics. And they have to figure it out. And it's a phenomenal point that like, okay, everything's working for the Nuggets. Let's just throw this in there for six possessions. Throw everything off. Call a timeout. Reset and come back with a resetted momentum. It kind of resets the micro decisions. I don't know if you saw True Hoop. Um, he did a great job of writing this article about micro decisions and kind of how they build momentum. And when you consistently make bad micro decisions, it turns into negative momentum. And this Mm -hmm. kind of is a resetting of that. And I really like the idea of it. I just, Nikola Jokic is too good at the nail. (laughs) That's the one thing that like, I do think most teams, it would be more of a shock. Now when Nikola Jokic is out there and you throw a zone at that team, he's going to know exactly how to handle that zone. I have no concerns about that. Where I think it'll work brilliantly is against the bench unit when the Nuggets start to get cooking with that Monte Morris, Mason Plumley pick and roll with Michael Porter Jr. on the wing, and you have those athletes, that's where I think you can really throw off a um, the Nuggets overall as an offensive unit. I also think the Nuggets need to play more Monte Morris alongside Jamal Murray, especially when they hmm. go zone, so you can reverse the court a little bit easier and create offense on the weak side and get those side pick and roll action to at least not let them overload the zone because at, there were points where the Lakers were allowed to overload the zone. Like you want the, the zone to overload so you can reverse and get space, but Denver mm-hmm. couldn't get the ball to the other side of the court and be able to attack it bent. So I do think that you're going to see more Monte Morris against that zone as well. That's very interesting. I, I love that idea. That's something where the Lakers will try to counter that with, and this is, there's different ways of playing a zone. We played a more aggressive type of zone in that we're looking to trap Jamal Murray, trap some of your smaller players and force the passes out of that to be a little more looping. Because again, we can cover a lot of distance and that's that free safety, right? That, you know, the pass rush, the quarterback puts a little more air under the pass and all of a sudden that's an interception. So With the Morris and Murray combination, I agree with you from a ball handling perspective, but I suspect the Lakers will try to trap those ball ball handlers and try to turn them over when when that happens. Those traps have to be perfect. Jamal Murray's been seeing traps since the beginning of the Utah series. Like this is not new to him now. And this is one thing where I would have I would have agreed with you three weeks ago. A trap against the Lakers is a different animal. A hundred percent. No argument there whatsoever. Yeah, yeah, just saying that that's the, the premise of, of what we're doing. That's part of like why people were saying, you know, Houston's this really tough matchup for the Lakers because of our size and, you know, our inability to close out to the three-point line. Like we cover, we're, we're very long and we're very athletic, right? So that, like beating a trap where say it's Gobert on the hedge or Bradley, Tony Bradley from, from Utah, they just don't have the lateral quickness that our guys do. So, so yep. yes, Murray, Murray has become fantastic. I am a smaller guy myself. And so when I played, <laughs> I, I, I love watching Murray because he has to contort himself into a pretzel to get certain shots off yep. or certain passes off. And he's worked very hard to actually be good at that, right? Yes, and so I'm like, I'm like, you go, I'm like, you go, man. Like you, you go, go get it, man. Cause like, that's, I, I can relate to it. There's also a breaking point that I experienced as a player myself where like the athleticism discrepancy when that athleticism is really locked in and really pressuring you where they're still going to deflect that pass. They're still going to pick off that pass. And so the Lakers are going to win some of those battles when they're really locked in. I just think it's a matter of like, we've, and, and this is, I'm, I'm so irritated about this with the Lakers. We've taken you guys less and less seriously as yes. the series has gone on. And so there isn't that intensity to the traps. There isn't, and so then, yeah, Murray's going to pick us apart. 
Yeah, one last thing before we move on a little bit here. I do think we've seen a little bit of Jokic and Plumlee together against the zone mm. to get a more athlete guy in that dunker spot to be able to work with. That is another okay. thing that I think Denver could do to kind of work against that zone. I like that. Um, let's talk about the rebounding because I don't know what the hell happened with the Lakers in terms of rebounding in game three. When you have five rebounds between all of your bigs virtually, <laughs> I mean, you have Anthony Davis who had two rebounds. JaVale had one, only played eight minutes, whatever. Kyle Kuzma had one in 26 minutes. Dwight Howard had one in 14 minutes. Like LeBron James cannot have 45% of your rebounds in a game. What happened? Because this is one thing I was not able to figure out. TJ, we're an arrogant team, man. I love this. <laughs> I love this. To steer into like the whole Lakers narrative of like how this team is fully into the skin. It's so funny. Well, so here's the thing: like we're we're very poorly understood. Like the narrative stuff is an interesting. By the way, I was a Lakers fan growing up, so like oh, I interesting. You, I, yeah, I grew up in Southern California, so like this is very much so of my thinking. So I know I cover sure. the Nuggets, but I feel you on a lot of this. <laughs> so so this is if I can if I can. I, I rarely do guest spots. I'm a big fan of yours, so I, I agreed to, to do this. Thank but you. Uh, if I can go on a slight detour. Please. What, pe- what people don't understand about the Lakers, like you see our arrogance, right? And you see the, you know, we bought a team and, you know, superstars forced their way onto our squad and this and that. We're also a very tight-knit family. Like when we, the Lakers are a family business too. Yeah. That sounds like a, a lip service type of thing, but it's part of the attraction. And we really look out for the best interest of our players, right? It's not the glory of the Lakers. It's a, we're going to exalt anybody yes. who, if you ball out for the Lakers, Alex Crusoe, who's great by the way, but it like on a legitimate on-court basis. But if you ball out for the Lakers, we will ride really hard for you. We will travel to your arenas uh, in deep numbers and try to take it over and get let's go Lakers chance. Like we're a really passionate fan base. That's very, very much about the basketball. We, we've seen this. If we win this year, TJ, this, if we win the championship, this will be the 10th NBA title of my lifetime. That's insane to think about. That is absolutely right. mind blowing to think about. And so we have very high standards for our own guys. Like I've seen people like complaining about the referees last night, Laker fans. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, guys, it's the same thing with Denver. Like everybody shut up and play ball. Denver was way yeah. more aggressive than we were speaking to the 44 to 25 rebounding advantage there. Like yep. if, if, if anything tells you that they did, that we did not take you guys seriously enough, it's that it's that, rebounding discrepancy and disparity where that was the Lakers at our worst last night, man. We had so many points during this year where we would put our foot on the gas and we would see like, Oh yeah, we're better than this team. And then they go on a 15, nothing run. And now it's a two point game instead of the 17 point lead that we had. This is kind of like the series version of that, where the title of our preview pod was appropriate fear. And we need to have the Lakers need to have the appropriate fear of the Nuggets or the Nuggets will beat us. The Nuggets are a very good basketball team. And so getting 25 rebounds is completely inexcusable from a, you did not take this seriously enough standpoint. And from the Lakers perspective, again, you guys see the outside arrogance, right? And the, yeah. the way that we operate internally, we're like, yo, we need to be much better. We need to look in the mirror and we need to like, the trash talk is fun when you're hooping, right? When you're playing yeah. very well, you're executing, you are doing your, there's a certain gratification that comes from giving your very best. 
and succeeding because of that. That is the only type of trash talk that I'm like, I will really get behind that. But if you're just yapping and like getting out boarded like that, that's something that in, in our circles, it's very unacceptable. Yes. And so I expect game four to be a different story just from that standpoint. Yeah, I totally agree. There's a difference between Jamal Murray mean mugging after hitting a potentially dagger three in Alex yeah. Caruso's face. Do to it. just like yelling, I'm Batman over and over and over again, as if that's going to have any impact on the game, which Come it on, clearly man. did not. So, <laughs> I mean, it didn't, right? Like Dwight Howard is such an interesting case study because there is so much good chaos and there is so much bad chaos that exists in his minutes. And mm-hmm. I have no idea because like everybody's clamoring for Dwight Howard to start Dwight Howard's gonna foul out before halftime if he starts like that is just the way that I have always there's a reason that JaVale McGee is starting and playing eight minutes it's because those eight minutes of getting JaVale starting is enough to keep Dwight out of foul trouble so I don't know if that's sustainable I will see about the Dwight thing later I really don't know did you think you wanted to say about Dwight before we go on to game four adjustments no, uh, just Dwight is, you, there's a good and bad that comes with Dwight. Um, I'm not looking to start him either. I also think that the, obviously they're trying to get in Jokic's head and punk him or, and just yeah, be it's not physical it, and be physical and whatnot. Like it, it worked when you were just playing in game one. Right. Yeah. And uh, like Dwight has given Jokic problems throughout the, the season because of his strength and his athleticism. Uh, that's also something where you get in this, I'm Batman, like, man, just like rotate, you know what I mean? Like don't, don't, don't blow this, this hedge and recover with KCP leaving Jamal Murray wide open. Don't steal rebounds and create turnovers. Like those things. It's something where this is something that I feel like we all battle is that whenever we have a little bit of success, we start reading our own headlines and start going like, (laughs) actually, yes, I have a lot of followers on Twitter. Aren't I awesome? You know? And then (laughs) that's when, that's when you become the worst version of yourself and you have to turn back inward and be like, what is it about the basketball? Like focus on the basketball. Let's be, let's redirect that energy, which I do think is healthy. That, that willingness to dominate. Dwight Howard wants to physically dominate you. That's great. It's, that's a good attribute to have in a basketball player. Redirect that energy from the mental side of the game to the, your own mental focus, right? Your, your closeouts, your rotations. And that is how you will physically dominate. That's why you get the best version of yourself. But we always have to look inward to be able to do that because when we start reading our own headlines, that's when we start to really fall off. If Dwight Howard just played his role and was in that dunker spot grabbing lobs, Denver would have no answer for him. Like that's the most frustrating thing if I was a Lakers fan that I was actually rooting for the Lakers in this series is that like the Nuggets can't defend the lob. Like he's just sitting there perfectly idealistic, this perfect center ready to go just to jump and be this energy guy but it's he's not just doing that and it's not helping like the nuggets so many people i don't know if i believe this but so many people believe that the nuggets won the clippers series when marcus morris tried to beef with paul Millsap and said you're going home when they were down 3-1 like from that moment forward and was like you're not punking us we're coming back at you and it felt very similar in game three after dwight tried to pull all these antics and you get all these articles about batman and the joker and all these things is that it kind of woke denver up and it kind of gave them a uh not woke them up it gave them them a common enemy as a team to kind of like we're going to prove to you what needs to change and how we're going to be able to show what we're going to do um let me ask you about adjustments because you spoke a little bit about this on your pod but what do you think the lakers need to do is it uh is it a change in in like who you're starting is it a personnel issue is it just dictating the pace more what adjustments are you anticipating in game four 
I think from a personnel standpoint, we ran this lineup with Markeith Morris as a small ball five against Houston. Disastrous decision. Really, it was really good in Houston. This is a, just giving you some pretext and context. When That was our main adjustment that we made, and we rolled Houston. That lineup was great in that series. But that's the nature of the playoffs is – the the Denver Nuggets are a very different team than the Houston Rockets. And so the lineup that works against Houston may not necessarily work against you guys. You guys are especially athletic coming off of your bench relative yeah. to what we have, and, and you've got size. So that small ball lineup was, as you said, disastrous. And so that's the first thing. Dwight, during the regular season, would be coming in at the beginning of the second quarter and the beginning of the fourth quarter. We have been holding him out until Jokic subs back in. What is it, around the seven or eight-minute mark in the yeah, second usually. quarter when he comes back in? Yeah, that's when we'd been holding Dwight out. I'd like, But what happens in those first five minutes before then, we've been very poor because we've been playing that small ball lineup that's a vestige of the Houston series that does not athletically match up with you guys. So I'd like to see Dwight not starting the game. I'd like to see him starting the second quarter and in his normal regular season shift. I'd like to see Markeith Morris get the start because I think some of in, in JaVale's place, because I think we're having some spacing issues with LeBron. That's, an, that's another adjustment is that I'd like to see LeBron. We saw him have a couple of high post touches where he hit jumpers. I thought the, series, I thought the game was over when he hit those three jumpers. From <laughs> I thought it was done. Right. And that's something he's operated very minimally from there in this series. And you guys have gotten progressively better at defending the high ball screen action where a lot of times we'll set ghost screens with guards and, uh, you know, have, have guards as screeners. You guys have been pinching down and kind of hope it, it from when if we've got Rondo or Caruso on the floor, you'll pull attention from them and kind of yep. live with that, that semi open three from them, which is good strategy. Cause or, they're not switching um, it, which is beautiful. Denver needs to not switch those ghost screens. Right. That's right. And LeBron and when LeBron tries to attack, because like part of the value of those ghost screens is to get the uh, is to get the hedge on the wrong side and get a step on Grant to get to the basket. You guys are stunting down and helping off. So where LeBron's actually missing some passing reads on kickouts to the wing specifically, but also like like Danny Green is really hot and cold. Our, our, that's the a weakness of the Lakers, right? Is yeah. that our shooters are really hot and cold. So anyway, I'd like to see the spacing improve. I think Morris from a personnel standpoint and an AD at the five really improves our offensive spacing. Uh, and then that not be so athletically overmatched in that first five minutes of the second and, and fourth quarters when Jokic is on the bench, but you guys got your more athletic bench group. So that those are the two personnel adjustments. And then just, I think we need to, show you guys more looks. It's a lot of Anthony yes. Davis takes care of our triple threat stuff. And so like, Whenever Anthony Davis gets the ball, it's uh, isolation at, at the high post. LeBron's running a high ball screen. Let's get LeBron down in the post. Let's get some more LeBron and AD pick and roll, which we've seen very little of throughout the season. That isn't unique to this series. We just, surprisingly, we haven't run a lot of that this season. Uh, and so those are, a lot, those are some of the adjustments. Malone, I've been really impressed with Malone. And the, he's found advantage in individual matchups to where you guys can take it to us and has has taken away has really emphasized and the players have executed that idea of we need to collapse into the paint because we can't get into a jumping contest with the Lakers. 
100% agree about the Michael Malone point. Um, the part that I'm that I don't agree with is starting Morris at the five is going to allow Nikola Jokic to get into whatever rhythm he wants. Like no, no, is, it's not Morris. Not Morris at the five. It'd be AD. So who, so AD is going to be defending Nikola Jokic, but then all of a sudden you have Paul Millsap with the ability to be the weak side rotator, and then that also is going to be something defensively that gives the Nuggets the advantage to at least keep the pace their own way as well. Because the way that things are constructed with Paul Millsap stuck on AD is that you can't really collapse from that side. And that, I feel like, has given the Lakers more room to work with. But I could be wrong. I need to go back and watch. So there might be a lot to that that maybe I just completely overlooked. But I do feel like that size difference really hurts the Lakers early in games. So this is my thought process uh, from an offensive standpoint, is that the, the additional spacing, it forces either Millsap or Jokic to be the hedge guy yeah. as LeBron is getting downhill. I think we need to run more pick and roll with LeBron and AD. And if it's... if Jokic can blow a lot of hedges in ball screens and LeBron can get to the basket. We saw a late, you know, late game switch between the two where LeBron got to the rim against Jokic as well. If you guys can't run what's a, a no roller behind pick yeah. and roll coverage in that because neither Millsap nor Jokic can jump. So what that means is that the weak side guy has to drop down and tag. That's much easier to do when JaVale's in the game because JaVale's yes, in yes. the dunker spot, right? If 100%. it's Morris on the weak side, Morris is going to knock down. Morris is one of those guys that's better when he plays around better players, right? Because he's a, he's a role guy and he's been a fantastic spot up guy for us. So I think it, it, if we run more ball screens with LeBron and AD with Morris on the floor, it forces a couple of situations that are difficult for like for Denver to defend. Millsap's going to have to pull all the way down. LeBron's, in my opinion, the best skip passer of yeah. all time. And he's going to get that to, that's going to be an open three for, for Morris on the other end of the floor. I suspect that that's when we would be getting into, I think you're going to see a more aggressive Lakers defense where we're pressuring more, right? We're playing more of that two, three zone and that smaller lineup gets us into more of our scrambles. So I think that the notion of Jokic could definitely get into a, a rhythm by getting anything he wants by having reduced size. I think what we're going to be looking to do is to not let you get a rhythm through our trapping and passing and scrambling because that's what we do best. But I don't know if we're going to make this adjustment anyway, but that's, that's my rationale for the smaller lineup. One thing to watch for, just for you, because this is one thing that is largely overlooked when it comes to the Nuggets defense, is Nikola Jokic is twice as impactful defensively when he is hedging. He wants to hedge. He has gone to Michael Malone and said, I would rather be at the level of the screen as opposed to dropping. His hands are that good, and he mm -hmm. is so smart that he is always waiting for that initial moment when the ball gets passed between, you know, whether it's a pick and roll or dribble handoff, whether the ball gets passed from a big to a small or small to a big, he knows that window so, mm -hmm. so well he can get into yep. it every single time and if Gary Harris is the other person who is involved in that pick and roll with Nikola Jokic then you have some seriously terrifying disruption that can actually make a difference for the Nuggets positively so I don't know that'll play out we'll have to wait and see but Nikola Jokic is always more engaged on defense when he's hedging no what I'm talking about though is so that's they're not doing it against LeBron. LeBron has the size to be able to, you're not going to deflect LeBron's passes no. at, on the ball, right? As active, because like Jokic is brilliant. And, and as is true with a lot of, like Jokic reminds me of a defender of Larry Bird, of Magic Johnson. Yes. Guys who were not like great individual defenders, but when they locked in mentally, especially, they're mentally one step ahead of you, of, of most of the guys. And so I, Jokic, I know Jokic is shocking the ball more and more and, and defending 
out on the perimeter at the level of the ball screen. The problem with that is that if it's AD rolling to the basket, who on the, the low man on the weak side is going to have to tag, right? And that's probably going to be Millsap. Even if it's Harris, if the farther out that Jokic is, the more rolling lanes to the basket that LeBron's going to get. And as wonderful as Jokic is at, at hedging at the level of the ball, and that's been one of the big differences of you guys. That's one thing people don't realize around the league. is like, Denver's really good on defense, right? And that's, that's yeah. part of that, uh, that adjustment. You're not going to deflect those passes against LeBron. You might, not, might do it against conventional point guards or guys that size, but those passes are going to get through. And so that means it has to be a really hard tag from the low man on the weak side. And it gives you a two-on-one where it's either AD rolling to the basket or Keith on the weak side or whomever that shooter is. So as disruptive as those guys can be, the more we pull you, like that's the whole strategy from Malone is collapse the paint, right? Get out all those yeah. bodies in the paint. We need to start pulling you guys out of the paint. So if Jokic is defending at the level of the screen, while that's something that he does well, that plays into what we do well, I would argue, to an even greater degree. I do wonder if getting Anthony Davis trying to create on the short roll is a win or not for Denver. I'm not sure where I fall on that, but right now that feels like the better alternative as opposed to letting the ball be in LeBron's hand or to potentially just run a straight up pick and roll defense and have Anthony Davis get that close to the rim. That is one thing that Gary Harris is good at is getting up and stunting on guys very, very high up the floor. So all of a sudden he's running into Gary Harris at the elbow, not actually down towards the restricted circle. Circle, and that forces the action to actually become away from the paint, which then 100%. helps. So again, we'll see because there's so many different factors that are happening all at once mm-hmm. in those kinds of actions. But there's a lot of fun and a lot of dynamics that play for the Lakers and the Nuggets when they do hedge. And I hope we see more of it just so I can actually get to witness it because <laughs> I do really want to see more of it. But let's get into, into predictions. What do you think happens in game <laughs> four? Uh, I think the Lakers win in game four. I think we play significantly better defense. I think you guys have gotten our attention for sure. Yeah. Um, I had Lakers in five uh, at the beginning of the series, and that's where I'm going to stay. I think that I could very much see us winning game four and, again, dropping a level of intensity that you guys will bring and then losing game five. But, I, that, yeah, I think the Lakers win game four. Yeah, this is <laughs> – I, I, I want to agree with you, but the idea of facing a Nuggets team down 3-1 is absolutely terrifying. Like, I don't know. <laughs> I, that's the thing where the Lakers are. They're either tied 2-2 or, uh-oh, Lakers or Nuggets are down 3-1 and we get to deal with this ridiculously resilient team and the narrative that surrounds that. But regardless of that, this is, has been an s- incredibly fun series. And I have enjoyed it, I think, more than I would have enjoyed it with the Clippers being there. I'm not even a Nuggets fan. I just ended up in Denver and ended up covering the team. But that Clippers team was boring compared to this. Like, I really really enjoy the dynamics at play and the the counter punches that need to exist and the chess moves that are being made by each team. I really yeah. enjoy that on a different level. So I hope you're enjoying it as much as I am. I, I, this I is am. an epic series in my eyes, and I just am so ready for tomorrow to get here. So, But Pete, thank you, man. Thank you, thank ton you of fun. for taking the time to come talk some hoops with me. Please plug everything that you do because there's a lot of it nowadays. Oh, I uh, thank you for having me, TJ. This is, again, I don't do a ton of guest pods, but I really respect your work. And I, you. I love 
talking to somebody who can have these conversations, right, about these uh, elements. And I like, I want to argue me, well, you know, Anthony Davis <laughs> is great. He's got that great floater on the short roll, right? So that's not gonna, <laughs> Gary Harris rotating. He's just going to elevate over the top of it, right? So I, we could, uh, this could have been twice as long. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I make videos for the Lakers now. I'm employed by the team and I, you know, for our local TV network as well. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Laker Film Room. I, you know, try to teach the game, but I am a unabashed Laker fan as well. So <laughs> if you find our ilk too obnoxious, I might not be for you, but I do uh, at least try to spread the, you know, what we are as a team, not just the arrogance, but, you know, we take basketball very, very seriously around here. And uh, it's a, it's a passion in the way that I think is true of a lot of like college football towns. And I yeah. don't think that Laker fans are perceived in that way because it's all, oh, we're so Hollywood and bandwagon. and, this and that. It's not that at all. <laughs> There's a reason. Oklahoma, yeah. <laughs> Next time you go to a game, you know, let's hopefully, hopefully that's sooner rather than later when we can go see how many fan, Laker fans there are in the arena. There's a reason for that. It's not because we're bandwagon. It's because we really, really care. So uh, anyway, if you want to, you know, learn more about basketball and, uh, you know, stand up for the Denver Nuggets in my mentions, you can find me <laughs> at Laker Film Room on Twitter. Yeah. And again, the Lakers Film Room podcast is great work that him and Darius Serrano are putting together as well. And for me, I grew up a Lakers fan. It's people like Pete that made me a basketball fan. So please go follow all of the things that he's doing because it's really, really incredible stuff and it's tons of fun and it's informative, which basketball media needs way more of. So yeah, Pete, man. thank you again so much. Please stay safe and enjoy the rest of the series. Thanks so much, TJ. Thanks for having me on, man. The wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still get in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get on get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads to totals to team player and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on the season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today and take full advantage of all of the great sign up bonuses, including the one we have here at the Blue Wire Podcast Network. That is when you can use promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's Blue Wire, all one word. Bet Online, your online sports experts. Thank you all for tuning in once again to make this Rocky Mountain Hoops podcast what it is. I really, really appreciate you guys. I know I say it every time to finish the show, but I truly mean it. Like, this show does not exist without you guys. Uh, big thanks to Pete Zayas of Lakers Film Room Podcast, also at Lakers Film Room on Twitter. It does amazing stuff for the Lakers and for the Blue Wire Podcast Network. An invaluable follow during these Western Conference Finals. In addition, thank you to Indeed. Thank you to NFL Sunday Ticket. Thank you to Bet Online. 
fine. Thank you to all of the people who allow this show to be what it is. It means the world to us, and it really is great to be able to allow this show to continue to grow, not just individually, but as a part of a bigger collective of the Blue Wire Podcast Network, which is all growing so much together. It's been a ton of fun, and there's going to be more to talk about. We're going to be having Game 4 coming up very, very shortly, and there will be more after that. The Denver Nuggets are right in this series, and it's going to be a fun finish. Make sure you go leave a five-star review on iTunes. Make sure you go leave an actual comment review on wherever you listen to podcasts, um, on whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts. Please share it on social media. Please share it to your friends. Tell people about it. Without you guys, the show does not continue to grow. So thank you so much for allowing me the platform to keep talking about this. Please keep wearing a mask. Remember that black lives always matter. And we will talk to you guys after game four.